Hello, everybody. This is Dwayne Newstater and Tony Tressel with Lori Newsham, our guest today on Tree Actions, where people get together and share about their reactions to growing up, living, and being part of the human forest. And uh, we're really excited about today's guest, Lori Newsham. Lori's uh, you know, a longtime uh, personal friend, family friend, uh, and uh, fellow arborist. Uh, Lori, I think, how, I'm not sure, was it 1989? Is that when we, was that the year we met? I think 88 or 89. Yeah, I think it was. I think it was '89, Dwayne, uh, back in the Green Drop days. There, that's that's what. Yeah. That's what when I was thinking about uh, talking to you guys, thinking, okay, when did it all begin? <laughs> As well, yeah, it ago, was... I was I was still in the service then, so you'd have to travel around to find me. And. Uh... You know, Lori, we uh, normally let people share a little bit about themselves and how you would describe your your uh, your birth into the human forest and a bit of its journey thus far. But uh, we're certainly that's what we're going to delve into. And uh, but uh, how do you describe your uh, you know who you are, where you are, and how you got in the forest? No, absolutely, yeah. No, I I give you a bit of an intro for sure. So yeah, those were those were pivotal and formative years and i've thought a little bit about using those words <laughs> and their meaning and uh definitely uh pivotal and formative years that that 88 89 area there. i got married in 88 to the to the woman that i still get to be married to carla and uh at that time i in 1988 i joined up with that company we know as green drop lawns here in uh, especially Western Canada. I spent five years at that company, still a, still a part of my life. Uh, all, many of the people that I got to work with in the five years there that I was there, and uh, they got me pointed in the direction of trees. And I began a, a, a love, I guess, right? Or the love discovered me about working with trees, understanding trees, and having them just a really significant part of my life. Uh, and yeah, I I even had the, the privilege and the honor of speaking at a couple of the Green Drop uh, corporate get-togethers over the years where I've been able to share some of my experiences. And uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I People say, well, you talk about Green Drop a lot. Well, I guess so. They gave me a good start and uh, helped me see some things about me without condemning me and paid me uh, a fair wage and uh, grateful for their input in my life and probably would have met Dwayne Newstater <laughs> if I hadn't been able to uh, be a green drop when he joined up there for sure. So, yeah, there, that's, I guess that's the early part of the start is. Yeah. Yep. Laurie, maybe, you know, it, it seems like we, you know, as far as the history, we, we, every time we've been doing these, we, we, we go back to the beginning and, and maybe you want to, we, we ask everyone their connection to training and when it all started. Now, you know, maybe your, you know, your exposure to training and where that came from and who it was with and, and then how that impacted you and how you eventually got involved in training. Cause you know, all of us were students before we were trainers and, and, uh, and maybe just how that journey led you through, uh, you know, Arbor Master, Arbor Canada, and then obviously the college. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, and I—I I mean, I still consider myself a student, and I'm sure you guys do too. And as Thor even mentioned, and I know he's not the first person to mention it. Uh, mm -hmm. The more you know, the more you know you don't know, right? And uh, Thor—I know Thor didn't originate that, but he believes it <laughs> and lives it, and so do I. So I totally get that for sure. Yeah. Uh, uh, oh man, yeah. What a journey! What a journey! So my first exposure to training was when Carla and I returned to Alberta, uh, left the chicken farm that is part of the legacy of the New Staters and the Rhymers and all that, and, uh, and then came to Olds College where Duane was the lead faculty in the Arboriculture program, and he had just 
finished creating that uh, great entity. And I came back to get my uh, applied degree in horticulture technology at Olds. And of course, reconnected with Duane in a bigger way. And uh, yeah, got ended up getting invited to go with him to help out. Uh, you know how, how it is. And like <laughs> uh, Thor and Norm talked about, you just hang around, right? It's, it's you don't expect to get paid. It's not like, oh man, I hope they pay me today. It's not about that. It was like, wow, I, I got paid so much in the things that I learned and the exposure to people that I just, I had just, I only read about in the Arborist News, right? Or heard about in the ISA. And and all of a sudden, Dwayne's introducing me to these people. It's like, holy cow, I'm I'm a lucky guy. And so yeah, so I got to I got to help out and learn uh, with Dwayne on uh, multiple courses uh, in BC and uh, in Alberta, and even in even in uh, Saskatchewan up here. Didn't make it all the way out to Winnipeg, but I have since then for sure <laughs> for training, and that's been that's been a, a good thing. So yeah, that's where that's where it was. So I I remember this is a kind of a funny story. Uh, Carl and I and our three girls, of course, moved back to Olds and got a little uh, yeah. duplex that we could afford while I was in school. And uh, Dwayne uh, happened to be that day there that uh, that when we were moving in, and Ken Palmer is right there and Dwayne right. angles him into helping us move our piano because part of a music teacher, yeah. our full blown upright grand piano. That's probably what wrecked Ken's hip. It's not, it has nothing to do with tree climbing. <laughs> it's because of that piano up there in Canada. And, and uh, he helped us move that piano uh, down into the basement. And I thought, okay, these guys are regular guys, all the rest. They just know some things that I don't know. And I would love to know as well as, build a, a relationship that goes beyond yeah i forgot about uh, that that was uh, i remember yeah. that now and you know i think laura you were one of the first like you know we the first ever arbor master training series that took place in the in western canada or in the central i think bc had started well i'm not sure if bc had done something already they might have done a seminar but uh you were in that first group yeah i, I remember being up at norm's place uh, yeah. And we were doing the bridging program because I, so I think there had a BC thing had happened and there was some of us who are feeling like we're getting left behind. And uh, you guys created the bridge program to bring as many of us up to up to speed as you possibly could. And yeah, up to up to Norm's place and did a whole bunch of training and learning there and chip and brush. And yeah, right. That goes down. That was for sure. Yeah. That would have been. And you may. When re- was that? Yeah. Well, that had to be uh, 99, right. uh, 98, 99, somewhere in there. And you, you'll remember this, Dwayne. You, you set yeah. up a whole Arbor Master competition yeah. where I helped you harvest spruce poles, right? And we buried them in the in the ground at the yep. old uh, yep. uh, fairgrounds and had a big competition there and. And yeah, yeah. So many of those trees are gone. I've thought about them many times that were actually, yeah, uh, that we actually right. did a competition in there right by the old library. Sorry about that. Re- really talking like, well, an it old was guy the now. regional hey, finals. It I was the first regional so finals. And uh, weren't you competing in them, Lori? That's right. Yes. Oh, I did. I did. I, I got second place. That's the story of my life always following the leaders around, but what they don't know is I learn a whole lot from those first places and I don't have all the pressure to perform because I, well, you know, I'm no stranger to second place either, Laura, you know that, uh, like as, as many times as Chris Patterson is on that (laughs) prayer chapter trophy, I'm second to most every one of them. And, uh, holy crap. And I think he's like Jesse passed him now for the most (laughs) consecutive wins or the most wins in our chapter, but Chris is still the second. And, I was second to him for most of those, so I can relate. <laughs> mm-hmm. Okay, well, thanks. Thank you. It, it's It's been a great place to be. I'm happy to be there. I'm not complaining at all. It's very cool. Uh, the reason Lori, Lori referenced, has referenced a couple of times uh, our family and, and Nancy's family, which is Rhymers, and uh, Lori was the best man at Nancy and I's wedding, so... Uh, that's why I introduced in the beginning. Our, our, it's a, as much as we're our 
colleagues, we've been friends as well through a lot of different uh, scenarios and circumstances. Um, but Laurie, maybe your journey with the college, how, you know, I mean, that's probably been your, you know, one of your major accomplishments. I know that you have many, and uh, I know that you don't uh, rank them in uh, order of value. I think you would line them up horizontally in your family and, and would be right along there with all that. So um, just, just, just a bit on that, the, your college days. Yeah, absolutely. But I have to comment too on um, the privilege it was to, to be your best man and just be your friend in those early years. Absolutely. That's, that's huge, Dwayne. And that <clears throat> Nancy and you would uh, trust our family enough to introduce us to all your families and be part of that. It's been You're huge. Welcome. It's been huge. It's good. It's good. So yeah, the college, the, the, good. Thank you. The, the college journey, it was, it was a good one. <laughs> I, I got a lot of value out of that. And I think I contributed quite a bit of value as well. And again, how did that happen? Well, because Dwayne moved on to greener pastures. <laughs> so there, there was an opening at Olds College when Dwayne uh, left that to fully pursue the Arbor Master and Arbor Culture Canada uh, journey that he's been on, that you've been on. So uh, I, I applied for those openings and worked from just a, being a, I mean, there is no such thing as just, right? I'm trying to correct myself in those words. I worked myself from being a contract instructor for delivering one or two courses and into a, a permanent uh, part-time and then into a permanent full-time full member of faculty and huh, yeah I've, I've learned all kinds of things about not just trees and there I use the word just again uh, trees plus uh, relationships, post-secondary institutions, um, gone way farther into, into that world, I'll say, than I, than I ever thought I would. And I, I enjoy learning a great deal. And I've, I've, I, have, I have a few diplomas and certificates from uh, post-secondary that isn't related to Olds College at all, or sorry, to horticulture or arboriculture at all. And because I enjoy those, but how did I ever see myself as a faculty member or even beyond sitting on board of governors or something like that? Not a chance. So it's, it's been a good journey and Olds College has treated me uh, very well and given me all kinds of opportunities to, de to develop my skills as an arborist and as an educator and as a trainer. But well, you know, Lord, when I think about, when I think about the concept of the forest <laughs> and when I kind of thought up that term, and I don't know that I'm in the first one to use it, but I'm certainly using it now. Um, um, you know, you're you're a major example of that to me. You know, of someone that not only contributes to arboriculture, but I, I'd like to delve into a little bit. And this might be a bit personal, and it's probably something you didn't expect. But um, you know, your attention to detail and words. Um, you know, even, you know, when you said, when, when you talk about your Carla, your wife, you know, that you get to be married to, um, and, and the way you just, you're the level of attention and detail that you pay to respecting almost everything, um, and how you word and say things and phrase things and, and say, well, not just, you know, no, nothing's just, that's another example, like, what what is it can you talk about that and and where that because i think that's that's such a part of what everybody loves about you and knows about you and respects about you and maybe you can give us some insight into what that's all about for you Oh, okay. Yeah, I, I probably can. And no, I didn't expect that. And it's not like I've spent a whole bunch of time there. And, and I got to remember, who, who am I sitting with here? I'm, I'm sitting with uh, a master wordsmith, right, of the written word. And then I'm sitting with a, a master wordsmith of the verbal word. And the picture's worth a thousand words, right? And the video's 10,000 or something like that, right? 
So yeah, so I'm I'm honored to be in you in the midst of you guys and uh no I have my own thing to contribute to. I don't know. Uh people matter. And how well again Thor mentioned this. Here we go. Armor Master or Board Culture Canada training. How you do anything is how you do everything. And that just resounds uh in in me, right? Whether I'm talking to that uh Young lady who's serving me up a coffee at the local coffee bar, meeting her eye, uh, not looking where I shouldn't look, right? To respect her and asking her about her day. Yeah. People matter. Yeah. They really do. And, uh, well, yeah. Uh, even when uh, Carl and I uh, bought the little company yeah. called Tree Keepers Incorporated from you and Nancy, Duane yeah. and we, we we made it our own right and uh, the logo our company logo there right. was people and trees growing together and we purposely put people first right and I and I think there is a hierarchical um, order there and uh, I'm gonna right. I'm gonna save the person before I save the tree <laughs> uh, and I know not everyone will agree with me on that and that's okay that's okay but I, I that that would be my priority. So, yeah, I guess people matter, and I try to I try to convey that and communicate that, uh, whether it's in my written words or my spoken or my well, it's words uh, or however you know it. That, it's, sure. Anyone that would get to know you or does know you, uh, you know, knows you for that, and and like I said, respects you for it. It's 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 clearly done out of respect and. Um, you know, it's sincere, I think would be the, the right word to describe it. Um, as far as, you know, your, the, the state of affairs of arboriculture, like in your career, you know, being a, you know, a 20 year college professor teaching arboriculture diploma, you know, involved in the tree climbing competition as a rescue tech for a long time and, and a chair before that. And what, what do you think has been the, or when did the, the big change in arboriculture happen? How did it connect with the training that was going on? And what, where, how is that going today as far as, is it just the newest, shiniest thing? Or are we, you know, is the major innovation happened? That's a big topic. But I'm just curious where you're, how you would describe the evolution of tree climbing. Let's just focus on that in the past 20 years. And from when you started to now. And now, what was your first knot and hitch and saddle to now? <laughs> well, I don't, I don't think the knot hitches and saddles were a whole lot different than yours and Tony's, <laughs> right? Exactly. Yeah, I never ever had to earn my living, uh, right? Climbing in a bowling on a bite. I'm not that old. At least I had a harness and a saddle to wear, right? Uh, but the top line hitch was the go-to hitch was a figure eight. And for whatever reason, you tied a figure eight between the bridge and the hitch or sorry, in the bridge between yep. the hitch and your attachment knot, right? Your termination knot. And of course, uh, learned after a while that, okay, that's why that's there. So you know where to cut it <laughs> as if we would, right? And I know that's, that goes way back. Sorry. So yeah, well, I would say that my opinion that man in the early 2000s that's where we real I really saw maybe others saw it sooner I think probably uh, the changes that were occurring and the 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 uh, implementation of the I'm not French so I can't do it justice the Veldetain the Veldeton. Um, when when it came in and replaced even the Blake Sitch, and the Blake Sitch was a big innovation for so many of us, but it didn't last very long because we had some of these other hitches to to come in, and that that was happening in in my life as a college instructor and as a business owner in the early two thousands is when I when I saw so much of that and realized okay if I'm going to be an effective educator and trainer. And I have I have got to stay as up to date as I possibly can. And much of that happened. And I know this is not a Art Canada <laughs> advertisement, unless I choose to make it so. And I choose to make it so. 
is uh, our Board Culture Canada kept me up to date in conjunction with the ISA, but with the practical hands-on, where's climbing going? Uh, how are we going to look after trees? That's where I really saw that happening. And so in the early 2000s, right up, uh, well, as it continues today too. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, 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 yeah. Does that, does I mean, that help you had answer to, some of that question? A, a, you know, say your top three innovations that you think really impacted even how you taught or what you taught, like when you say, you know, what what Ooh. would the, the the top three be that stick out in your mind where you actually, you know, taught, started teaching or showing something different because it was, uh, and why you chose those? <laughs> top three. Okay, well, here, here's the first one. And I wasn't teaching then, but uh, right. the first one is just that fair lead, right? into into the into yeah. the bottom of the tot line or the bottom of the blakes and where did i learn that this is this is a rhetorical question duane you showed that to me you were so excited about it and i tried not to be because i wasn't in i didn't want i didn't i was too <laughs> selfish to enjoy your enjoyment of it uh... but it was out on the chicken farm right in front of the old farmhouse and you came out yeah. one day uh, with a as a visit and said, Lord, you got to see this. This is just so much better. You can one hand all the way out on the end yeah. to the end of this limb, and you're, you know, you know how you are. And you just showed and just demonstrated all of that. And I thought, holy cow, I am so far behind now, right? And that I had taken a two-year hiatus from arboriculture and was uh, um, learning a whole lot more about raising chickens and that sort of thing at that time. And that that was part of where I decided that okay, I got to change this. I want back. I went back in our boar culture, and that was a that was a, a monumental moment uh, there. So that that was probably that's probably number one, right there. Uh, second one was uh, not just the the Veldetain, Veldetain, but the all those new hitches that came in, right, and that you could actually descend so <laughs> fast that you could you could burn right through. Yeah. those outer coverings and you remember ultra tech i mean we can still buy it today right and i don't know how many covers i melted <laughs> off the off ultra tech just because i could right because it was fun to do that and that you know that you still had right the interior core to look after you so yeah so the the implementation of just oh, the yeah. fair lead i know it sounds so yeah. simple but that was a big thing and you know it's interesting then. how that that thing has you know the hitch climb new cordage yeah a lot of people don't realize how significant that pulley underneath was for the hitch <laughs> climber really the whole hitch climber is based on that you know that was the impetus or the evolution the beginnings of the hitch climber was in that fairly micro pulley right with the dog leash clip <laughs> and they they tidied it up Absolutely. and made it better you know, and yes. that's, that's, that's something that uh, has been in, in a bit of discussion over the last couple of podcasts is, uh, you know, is are the new innovations actually improving or solving a problem or are they just sexy? <laughs> mm -hmm. But but before we get to that, you can think about that. You were going to you were going to mention another one. Yeah, your third. Oh, well, yeah, third innovation that okay i don't know if i would pin it down to Absolutely. a piece of gear uh, can i can i go outside of that <laughs> i i really feel that an innovative thing and maybe maybe it's just me again maybe just in my life but there was there was just there was such a an awareness so much more of an awareness that what how is the tree responding mm. to all the things that we do to it and one of my favorite exercises with, with college students was to identify all the things we do uh, to a tree, with a tree, and just fill the whole chalkboard, whiteboard up with that, and then say, okay, which one of the things are you doing to the tree, and which one of these things are you doing for the tree? And you'd circle to the tree mm. in red, and you'd circle for the tree in green. And so often, right. we were, there was the red overpowered the green on the chalkboard or the whiteboard. And uh, so what I saw happening in my own life personally, and I think in many, many, most, many 
of the students and the people that that I encountered at conferences and training and all the rest was more it's like okay yeah what what are we doing here to the tree and why are we doing it what what why is this happening why are we doing this now I think there's just been a greater awareness of uh, the value of trees in our in in our world that makes it softer and easier to live in and uh, more rewarding, all of that. So I, I, th I think I see a, a, a greater awareness that so many of my students uh, in post-secondary came in right. with already a love for trees of some kind. They didn't even know necessarily why, right? But they had that. And uh, it was it was harder to find those students who didn't even know if they were cutting a spruce or a pine, mm. right? Let alone a deciduous or a coniferous Sorry. tree. <laughs> and I know we can, yeah. Nope. No, 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 you're not. Oh, I, just, I just popped uh, into yeah, my head the whole soul of a tree thing that Shigo and Jack Phillips are working on, you know, which was that, mm. that whole, and I mean, I'm sure, right. I mean, you know, yes. you did the tree biology course with Jack, you know, is that, was that along those lines? Does that fit that model you're talking about? Mm. Oh, definitely. Definitely, Duane. And uh, you even referenced this in, I can't remember if it was in the podcast that you guys did with Thor or the podcast with Norm. No, I think, well, I can't remember. You'll know what I'm talking about. The the old right. Legends of Arboriculture video that I've shown yeah. dozens and dozens of times to students to give them just a bit of a history, right? And at Larry the very Hall. end, uh, Larry Hall. was it Norm or Larry? I get those guys mixed up. Hall. Yeah, Larry. Larry Hall uh, talks yeah. about the, the, the yeah. mystical part of a tree. And then there's that yeah. cheesy... Yeah. Yeah tree branch that wink, winks at you right and it's and it's and it's it isn't it isn't cheesy because it's like okay there is there is so much more going on here than which right. saw should i use to make this perfect cut right so and i think i think i'm seeing as an older guy in in this world of arboriculture a deeper awareness and appreciation of that those sorts of things in a in a good way I, I I agree. That's uh, I really like that perspective, and you know we haven't had anyone go down that road yet, and uh, it's very true. I and uh, I really like that whole concept of mm. are we doing it for the tree or to the tree? You know, it's a mm. uh, you know I then think... you go all the way back to you know my first where I would really say I connected with that concept was when I I wrapped my head around and it, it was you know compartmentalization and then the link it had the juxtaposition it had with um, cavity repair and where they would clean it out, you know, and cut through wall four mm. in order to get to the good wood. And then, uh, you know, and how it looked like the good thing to do, but yes. it wasn't. And starting to realize, man, we really don't know what we're doing to these trees, maybe. <laughs> Yeah, I, I agree with you, Laurie, but I think one of the things yes. that's happened too in, in arboriculture, and I, I think one of the reasons Dwayne and I really wanted to start this podcast is that we found that with newer arborists, a lot of that, a lot of it's about climbing the trees, about the gears, about the physical aspect of basically getting to work. You see very little on the work, you know, now granted, so some of it I'm gauging on, you know, social media posts, which is, is what it is. And it was just pointed out to me recently, and it's very true. When you look on social media, what you see represented for tree work is a bunch of young guys, really high in trees, making small cuts, basically taking the tops out of single stem trees. And they're all doing removals. Everybody seems to film removals, every, you know, crane, all this stuff. And I think it's, you know, it's so, it's where the action's at, right? But I think that the the true job of the arborist is really like, you know, the way you put it is it's sort of that interface between the trees and, and humans. It's, you know, how the arborist job is really to make the tree fit into the human interface and some sometimes the other way around, um, but but more so. And I think that some of that's getting lost a little bit for in sure. the, I guess you'd say the mainstream media for arboriculture. And I think it needs to be brought back around a little bit because in the end, mm. you know, the climbing equipment I use, the rope I use, the harness I use, the knot I use, all that stuff, it, it's really just tools to get the job done, which is to care for the tree. Yeah. And, and, you know, for every professional that's out there Agreed, doing the work, 
you're going to have a different set of tools, you know, concepts and principles will be similar, but methods are going to be different. But I think that in a, on a, on a mainstream media stage, a lot of that message is getting lost, right? You don't see tree care videos. You see tree removals videos. Now I've taken down plenty of trees and I'll admit some of them were, were frivolous and probably didn't need to come down. Um, but I have to bills to pay too. But, and sometimes a removal is a necessary part of the, uh, sure. you know, of the equation, but pruning and planting and root collar excavation and all those things are just as big a part, um, as of arboriculture. I think it gets lost a little bit. And I think that I didn't appreciate that until, uh, you know, later in my career, I wish somebody would have, would have kind of clued me in a little bit. I think I got it quicker than many because I was, you know, fortunate to have a, you know, family involved in it and my father being and my older brother, you know, influencing my career and whatnot. But I think it's lost a little bit. I think that that, that turning back to, you know, what are you doing it to the tree? You're doing it for the tree and why, you know, sometimes mm -hmm. you have to do things to two trees. It's just what it is. Right. But you should also be doing things for trees. Absolutely. Right? And sometimes the best thing you can do for a tree is, well, just leave it alone. Yes. <laughs> it's like, I, I constantly have to remind younger arborists. It's like, you know, this tree, it, it's gonna, it doesn't really need your help. We were only working on it because it, it has to interface with our world yeah. left. You know, yeah. we don't go out and prune trees in the forest and there's a good reason for that because they're just fine. You know, yeah. so it's important <laughs> to remember that. And you, you, you said that very, exactly. very elegantly. You implied that, but I think a little bit of it is, is missing. Yeah. Interesting. Interesting, Tony. Yeah. No, and I think that as a, as a as a senior member of the active arboriculture community, especially here in the prairies, I want to I want to try and convey that or at least live that out, right? And, and when I talk to clients and friends and uh, even even students, uh, to to keep that in mind and to remember that, right? As they learn the latest technique and learn how to make a seventy to ninety open face notch with an appropriate board cut. It's like, yeah, don't forget what the, 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 the thing that you are cutting into here, if it wasn't, if it's dead now, it once was a living organism. And uh, yeah, our Western society, sometimes I don't think we've, we've fully grasped the, the meaningfulness of the living things around us and the privilege that we have to exercise our will on them and to make them conform to our stop signs, our crosswalks, our sight paths, all of that sort of it thing. It kind of kind of hit home for me once in, in the oddest times. I don't know if you've watched like the was it the Lord of the Rings movies where they had the ants were the tree people, right? Remember yep. remember the ants? You remember how the ants spoke? Oh, of course. Yes. They spoke really <laughs> slowly. Yes. And when I started to think about that deeply, I'm like, that's genius. Because if a tree could speak yes. in a language, it would probably speak really slow because, well, it has time, right? you know, <laughs> and you start to look at the lessons tree can teach us, you know, and, and I often, totally. I love when talking about tree biology and you, you compare compartmentalization to how humans heal. And, uh, yeah. you know, you ask, you ask which one's better, right? And everyone inevitably says, well, I'd much rather be a human. And then I like to bring out, well, there are no 4,000 year old humans on the earth. Right. Uh, but, but there are a few 4,000 year old trees, right? And <laughs> Good one, now they're limited. Good they don't one. get to move around yeah. like us do. So I guess you, there's nothing, yes. there is no free lunch, but. You, you but know, it, though, there, but that Tony, that's something right there, you know, and I, uh, I'm sorry, I, I'm kind of cutting you off there, but I don't want to, I, it's recently my, my stopping traveling, so to speak. Like I've spent 25 years on the road for 280 days. You know, I've been basically a tumbleweed, you know, and, uh, and it's been great. There's, I mean, I've seen and amazing things, and it's it was it was enjoyable. But you know, I've made a conscious decision to you know for my own health and wellness to to stick to to stop traveling quite as much. And uh, what you can appreciate when you stay in one place for a while. And I've only just started. I'm sure this is probably nothing new to anybody else. But the trees are an example of that. There's so much to discover. You know, if you know if you just you know, take time to open your eyes and be present and not get in such a rush. Mm -hmm. But uh, sorry, I just, it just piqued my, you know, it piqued my thought on that. And, uh, you know, 
there is it's it there is so much to learn from the human forest i think in so many ways but i hope i didn't make you lose your rest of your thought mm-hmm. there but no no it's it's right along those lines like i said there's you know I, you said it well, Laurie, when you said, you know, as a senior member of the Arborist community, I think I'm getting to that point. Actually, ironically, you know, Susie and I were taking a walk the other day and we're like, it's, it's like a Tuesday afternoon. And I'm like, man, look at all, this is weird. Look at all these old people walking down the path. And then I had to, I'm like, oh shit. <laughs> but anyway, that's a whole nother story. But, uh, you know, I, these are the lessons that uh, think yeah. it takes yeah, time good. to see, you know, like I've asked a number of climbers <clears throat> experienced um, you know, we're talking world champion climbers, like have won the ITCC many times over, or at least multiple times. And I've asked each and every one of them, what mm. piece of advice would you give to a young climber just just getting into the arbicultural circuit? Not necessarily competition, right? But as a production working arborist. And I'll tell you that before I give you my answer, you can give me your answer. But uh, I can tell you that the answer I've gotten from a number probably three to four is pretty much the same, right? You know, different variations on the theme, but I'd be interested to hear your answer before I give what I found. Yeah. Ask me what, what's, what. So you look back, you have to give advice to a young, a younger person just getting into this field. What would say they have a they have a decent skill set? They're interested. They want this to be a career. Um, They have a decent skill set. I mean, they can climb. They can do some things. What What would you What would be their next steps for them? Hmm. Oh, uh, stay stay as current as you possibly can. uh, Up to date with not just the newest uh piece of shiny gear as much fun as that is and i like shiny gear i ride motorcycles i like all of that kind of stuff and i enjoy the the pieces of gear that i have in my climbing kit for sure but it's not just about that it's like you said earlier tony that's that's just how we get to the job that's just how we get to where we do the actual interaction with with that tree and provide the service that that client has asked us to do. So stay current, stay current, stay up to date, stay as much as you can. I know not everybody can do all kinds of traveling and learning. And some of us have had some real privilege in that sort of thing, but don't, don't squander the opportunities that you have. And so much of it you can learn. Now, if you use the right filters (laughs) on in, in social media and by interacting with, uh, people who who might know a little bit more than you do about what it means to be an arborist so yeah staying current staying staying connected maintaining those relationships don't thinking that yeah i've got this that's down good. that's good advice that's all i'm gonna do that's good advice the answer i got and it's probably the one that i would yeah. give um was that once you got you know you have a decent skill set you know how to cut you know how to climb there's always more to learn there everyone would admit that is really start to learn about the trees and, and why mm-hmm. trees do what they do, mm-hmm. um, you know, oh. and because I think there's a lot of younger arborists yes. out there that they're very, their skill set for climbing and cutting is good, but they don't, and they know how to make a proper pruning cut and they might understand very basic tree biology, but they can't explain to you why you would thin one branch over another or why you might leave a piece of dead wood, right? Or, you know, right. there's many things that go into it. So, you know, to take that time to start to learn about the trees and the structures that we're working on. And I said, this came home for me. Luckily, early, I was speaking at a uh, at a conference with Dr. Kim Coder from University of Georgia. We were having lunch. Mm-hmm. And I forget what I asked him. I might have even told you. I know Dwayne's heard mm-hmm. this story, but I'm, I don't know if I told cool. you. Before, but I asked him, yeah, I forget, it was a question about removals or whatnot. And, and Dr. Coder, in his very emphatic and somewhat breathless way, said, Tony, if you're going to take a tree down, take it down <laughs> the way it was put together. And... It took me a little while to get it, but then I started mm. to understand that. And that kind of launched me down the the learning path of really starting to look into why do trees stand? Why do we have trees instead of huge ferns? You know, when my dad started arboriculture, it might have been huge ferns. I used, to, right. <laughs> I used to give him a hard time. I'd say, you know, back in your day, dad, it was the motto was, you know, today's brush, tomorrow's coal. But, uh, you know, what? And, you know, why have, why have trees lasted oh, so much one. longer than other things? And, and to really start to understand that. That's, yeah, yeah. 
my musings. Yeah, I think I, 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 I didn't, I didn't express it as well as you have there, mm-hmm. Tony, but that that's, that's part of what I would mean by staying current too, right? Just not on the latest climbing technique, but man, yeah, know what you're in, know what you're on, know why you shouldn't prune this tree in the middle of summer. Well, you know, it was, it was like Shigo would always talk about touching trees, you know, and there's so much, I think like, um, even the, you know, you know, having the, uh, the, the been living in a classroom called a tree care company where you're, you know, not only removing trees, pruning trees, but you're, you're handling, you're touching wood all the time. You're touching trees and, you know, just being, keeping an open mind to what you're looking at and curiosities and weird growth formations and, you know, even the sound the wood makes when you chip it and the vibration of the wood when it hits the blades, if you're lucky enough to feel that, you know, like, you know, the, you know, safely, (laughs) but, but, uh, you know, there's just, there's, you're, you're in a living room, you know, so to speak. And, and the learning is, is all around. Yeah. You know, really, uh, especially when you're, if you're lucky enough to be a, a production climber pruning up in a, you know, what you see up in the canopy is just, you know, you're in the living, you're in the heart of the tree, right? Like yeah, I, I was, uh, recently looking at an Arbor's report and, uh, well, it was, it was DJ, my son, who's doing his tree work, and he and, and he had all these photos from he, – he was evaluating this person's tree, but in the report, he had photos from the tree, you know, in the canopy. And, I mean, nowadays, with it's so easy to do, of course. Like, he just had his phone, but he it was in the report. So the customer was looking not only at their tree from the ground, you know, but, you know, as he described the what the tree, there was photos from in the tree. And I just thought it's just – you know, most people don't, you know, we kind of take it for granted, you know, we can get up there and have a look around, but like a homeowner, how often did they ever see the union that he's talking about? There was a co-dominant union and he, he has a picture from the top looking down. So you can see this union here is, is, you know, is to be watched and this is why. And it was just interesting to me that, but what a, you know, I, I it's like getting back to what you said, Tony, and maybe this could be a lesson to people listening, you know, like, you're in a you're in a living laboratory that can teach you so much if you take the time to watch and not just make it about how fast you can swing to the next branch or how cool you look doing it. Like there's this you're you're it's it's like a I guess it's part of with age, but you know what you miss driving too fast. You know what you don't look at with your head down when you're going hiking up a mountain. You know what what you don't see because you aren't paying attention to what's around you and. uh Get, I guess this whole topic kind of started with the slowing down thing. Mm-hmm. And uh, there's a lot to be said for that. <laughs> yeah. I would say I would be interested, Lori, on your perspective. You know, a lot of these things we're talking about. Yeah, some of it comes with being in the industry for so long. And I know that in my case, some of these lessons were accelerated because I, I was and still am a traveling trainer, right? Because I had the opportunity to get out of the, the bubble that I worked in and could get out and see other things. How much do you credit? you know, your learning or your experience in arbiculture, having those same experiences, you know, getting away from a, a single company and going somewhere else and, and teaching somebody something. Um, has that accelerated these lessons for you or what's your perspective? Absolutely, Tony. Yeah, that that's for sure. And I, I think that just goes across so many disciplines and industries. If you, if you can get out and uh, look at some things, from other people's perspectives and uh, whether that's, yeah, geographically or even uh, being able to see that uh, in the, in the world of social media that we have now, even that can help you do that when you start to look at it in different places and see how things are done differently and see how trees are respected in different ways. Uh, Just a quick little story. Uh, When I, I got, I got to be the, uh, city arborist for the city of Kamloops, which is in the interior of British Columbia in the early 90s. And I was totally stressed out when uh, I found out they actually offered me the job because I'm go- I'm, that means we're moving to BC. This is the land of tree worshipers. These people know trees like they, they understand them. They live them. I know I'm exaggerating here some, but there was, there was that feeling of, wow, this is, this is a real tree world. I'm from cold Canadian prairies <laughs> and I'm going to go into a, a desert environment. 
anyway, when I get there, it's like all of a sudden I'm the expert in that little world in the urban uh, part of the central part of BC there in Kamloops. And all of a sudden people are asking me things and they're asking me things that, yeah, I did learn those. I know all that. Well, that's so simple. You should know this, right? Not in a judgmental way, but I would expect them to know that. And uh, so it was a whole different perspective. And not to go too far down this path, but a little ways is uh, you you uh, learn to you learn about what you don't have much of. <laughs> uh, you can right if that's if that's a, a focus of yours. And uh, when you compare the amount of canopy cover that's in the prairies compared to what's in the British in British Columbia, it, it, there's a huge difference there. And BC has a lot of trees, and it's just rich with uh, variety and diversity, all of that. We're we're a little more limited in the in the in the prairies, and that helped me see that ah, I don't, I don't, I, how do I say that? Uh, I know more than I think I do, and I need to be careful about how I pass judgment on others who I think should know more just because they have more, right? And uh, sometimes we we appreciate more what we what we have less of, I guess, is maybe a, a way well, I could it, say it, that. It's like the, like a, a, someone that lives in the desert really appreciates water. You got it, Dwayne. Good one. Yes. Yeah. They, right. And sometimes on the yeah. prairie, you know, when you live where trees aren't as prolific, you, you, you know, like people will, they go to great lengths to, to want it. Like when it takes 40 years for it to grow, to be of size, <laughs> not four. Yeah, totally. You know, uh, you just treat them differently and, and you definitely, it's, it's interesting because I've always wondered, and I think it's touching a little bit, like, you know, and there's a lot of, it's interesting where some pretty um, infamous and even famous arborists come out of prairie type locales mm-hmm. or, or not in the P and W just, you know, like where trees aren't quite as uh, where they just have a little bit more of a hard time growing or they, they, I don't know what, I'm, yeah, they, like Wisconsin seems to have a high concentration of, you know, active arborists and uh, they're everywhere, but I don't know, maybe that's off base, but it's interesting. Yeah, well, let, let, I, I, I get what you're trying to say. Okay, yeah, cool. And just to bring it back to your original question there, Tony, if I may, mm-hmm. is, uh, yeah, the diversity that we expose ourselves to uh, across across our two great nations and beyond and learning from other people like that, that really does deepen our understanding and make us wider and, and more, uh, uh, more accepting of uh, different points of view. If I if we want to go down that far, but yeah, it makes me a better arborist in the end is if I can see how Tony handles these things in Pennsylvania and, and uh, my DJ does out on the West coast of British Columbia. Totally, totally richness. Yeah, it is interesting how you went again to different parts of the country and different parts of the world, how trees are viewed. Like nowhere else, and I've you know traveled a lot of the world doing tree work, um, except for like, you know, Pacific Northwest of the states here and then the Western coast of Canada. Nowhere else do, does anybody describe trees as scary except in that. Like the general the general uneducated person, like, man, that's a scary tree. And it's just nowhere else do they, well, unless it's like falling over, which, right. you know, that's one thing, but a perfectly healthy tree that's been there for 300 years is scary. Um, so it's just interesting how they view them. And then, and to your point, Dwayne, I think you're right. I think that, you know, when you have a wealth of riches and trees and tree diversity and size, you know, and, and places where you can put a stick in the ground and it'll probably start growing, you don't appreciate <laughs> it as much as where, you, you know, for a tree to get 40 feet tall and 12 inches DBH is like a 70 year process. Right. Right. You know, and, and a lot of people think, especially in Northern Canada, it's like, yeah, you guys get so much snow a year, but it's essentially a desert because that water is not available. Yep. You know, it's, yep. it's not yep. available to the tree. So, and it is an interesting to see. And then kind of to your point, Laurie, it reminded me one of my most va- valuable training lessons ever had to do with, with people. Hmm. is um don't ever expect yourself from other people <laughs> yeah. and when i figured uh, that one out yeah. um, life got a lot easier but it, it comes from 
you know, cause you're right. Like you go out and you go do a training and you know, it's the classic. And I think probably all of us have experienced this. You go out and you're excited. You're going to teach a climbing course. I haven't taught a climbing course in so long. And you're going to teach all the, and then you go out and you, you start talking about the history of climbing and you, you tie a taunt line and you put a micro pulley underneath it. And the crowd looks at you like you just gave them fire, right? Like, and you, and part of you is excited because you know that you're going to tell them things that they couldn't possibly imagine that day. But then part of you is sort of disappointed because it's like, man, I really wanted to talk about stationary rope systems, but that's not happening today. <laughs> yeah. Good one. And, and some, and I, and I used to be a little bit disappointed um, in, in, in the students. Cause we go, how could you guys not understand what a, what a micro pulley is? But then when I started to realize that I can't expect my experiences and the way I see the world, to project upon other people. Cause see, is when I learned that, I mean, I couldn't get enough, right. From mm -hmm. a technical standpoint, mm -hmm. it's one of the reasons I started training because the best way to learn new shit was to just hang out with like Dwayne and Scott and all these guys yes. until they gave me a job, you know, but <laughs> I hear you, uh, which you know, is, it, which it, is another repeated theme. <laughs> yeah. You, you bring up a really interesting point. I just, I, I want to just get your guys' take on this and, and uh, maybe this will, maybe this will, take us take us out as far as a, a good close to this session but you know with all the innovation and technology like so we got all like the new stuff that's available it's it's quite staggering it really is it's, it's amazing really and it's just never stopped since like the early 2000s i agree laurie but then you got the internet and you got phones and you got insta and tiktok and you got like i mean this the stuff you can find is just unbelievable. And yet part of me is starting to wonder, you know, and part of it's been doing these podcasts and the different people we've been talking to, you know, this whole concept of the 10%, I, I, I'm wondering, you know, and, and you just nailed it on the head there, Tony, like, like you, you think it, you gotta, you gotta have this new stuff, but 90% of the industry out there maybe really is still, like some of the 2000 techniques and innovations are really qu still quite new, but we, we live in this world of connectivity where we're connected to this 10%. And we think that's the, the way it may, it maybe is. And, and, and we go to the competitions and even, you know, I'm, there's still so many people that don't even know there is a tree climbing competition. Yeah. It seems ludicrous to us, but there's so many people that don't know. And, you know, I think that this technology and this information has almost widened the gap, hmm. not, 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 not made it narrower, which is really interesting. But what do you, I'm just curious what you, you would feel about that or your comments would be on that. You can go first, Lori. I got plenty of comments. <laughs> <laughs> I thought maybe you would. <laughs> uh, yeah. Hard, that's, that's a hard thing to measure. Right. And especially oh, man. where, where even, where us three get to be at uh, and with the contacts and the relationships we have with leaders in the industry, hard thing to measure, but I see it. I just did. Well, it was a year ago, but so that's pretty fresh for a six year old guy. A year ago, did a consult for a local farmer here uh, because the road is going to get widened and there's going to be trees. And this farmer who I know quite well, uh, knows he's got quite a little valuable stand of trees here and they're going to get damaged. Well, I'm having, uh, and we're meeting on site and there's probably nine of us there and half of the, more than half of the people there are from the local county. And I'm, I'm, I'm actually flabbergasted. I don't show it, uh, but flabbergasted that the, the tiny bit of money that they would give per tree to compensate a landowner. And I know I could easily defend uh, this farmer in court and he's going to get probably five, eight, 10 times the value for the, of this tree. And they were, they, they were so far behind even in understanding the value of trees. Now, to be fair, I said, perhaps, and I'm not even going to mention the County, um, uh, I said, perhaps, perhaps the county needs to relook at how they're valuing trees because there's many, many places in Western society uh, that uh, put a much higher value on trees and can justify that. 
And the, to give this fellow credit, it was a fellow, he said, you know, that's probably right. We do need to relook at that. So that was a good indicator for me, not on necessarily climbing stuff there, Dwayne, but on something that, that affects our community, even in a bigger, our society in a bigger way. And these are leaders oh, yeah. in society, right? And I mean, I know I'm talking to people who already know this, but it, it just it kind of got me because I'm, I'm used to being in the world that I'm in. And what, what do you mean? You're going to give $200 for, for a tree that could be valued? I can justify the value of, of that tree at five or $8,000? And you're going to give this yeah. guy 200 bucks for that? Yeah. So I think there is a disconnect. <laughs> well, you know, I don't there. think and I don't think it is relegated to only tree climbing by any means. No. I mean, it, it's, no. it's all over the place, you know. Uh but that's interesting. Yeah. It's uh Well, it looks like Tony's been he's biting his tongue here. He's really yeah, yeah, let's hear some thoughts there, <laughs> Mr. Tressel. Well, no, I do I do agree with you, Dwayne, and it, it I was reminded of it when we, we talked with Don um Blair last week that, mm. you know, Really, probably conservatively, eighty percent of the arboricultural community production doing tree work for a living is probably still on a, you know, mid two thousands um, skill set. And that's I'm not saying that's wrong. I I think that you can I think you can use three strand rope and a butt strap harness and a handsaw, and I think you can get a lot of good work done. <laughs> they did on trees. Yes, uh, I mean it's, we did it for decades. Um, yeah. <laughs> I think that you know in the long run. You know, you, there's more efficient ways and things like that. But I think, you know, the number of times I've had to go out to a company, a private company, and just have the discussion about wearing a hard hat is amazing, mm. you know, much less, you know, some of these innovative climbing stuff. And I agree with you. I think that that as, you know, the – I think the industry itself is basically serving the top 10% of, of production workers – and it, it's misrepresented. And I think that as that gets misrepresented, um, it does widen that gap because where's the guy that, look, his boss isn't going to buy him anything beyond right. a rope, a car yeah. couple carabiners, a micro pulley yeah. and a harness. Um, you know, he's, he's interested enough in the work and he enjoys doing the work, but it's probably not going to be a 30 year career. Um, so he's, you know, it's so, but he can still get work done and get work done safely. Where does he go for training? Right. Right. You know, how does he learn to move through a tree on a Blake's hitch or a taunt line in a micro pulley? There's not a lot of places for him to go. So he sees these, he or she sees these advanced climbing courses. They're like, I ain't going to that. I don't, I don't need it. So I think it's a little bit yeah. misrepresented. And it was telling too, referring back to our last interview with Don Blair was, you know, when I asked him if he was going to invent something new and innovate something new in the industry, what would he do? And it was fascinating when, he basically said he would look for a need and then he would exploit that need. Yes. Right. And I don't think innovation is going that way. I think, I think men and women are just inventing stuff because I don't, I don't, they're not, they're doing it because it's something that they, they find interesting, but I don't think they're exploiting a need, mm -hmm. you know, like how many different versions of a Porter app do we really need? You know, um, <clears throat> you know, how many mechanical climbing devices are enough? And I'm not saying that there's anything wrong nor am I victimizing or criticizing people that invent that new stuff. No. But I think they're going about it the wrong way. I think Don's point was very clear. It's like, we'll find a need in the industry and then address that. And it goes back to our argument, like way back when, you know, when the, when the micro pulley came out and the Blake's hitch came out, every one of those innovations solved the problem. So we adopted it pretty quickly and we didn't argue about it. Hmm. Now we get these innovations that aren't necessarily solving a problem. They're just a different method and we get arguments. Yeah. Good one. Good, good <laughs> observations, Tony. Yes. Yep. And it, you know, it, it almost kind of started that like our, our, our ability as an industry was made aware of that, of, of the possibility of monumental change. I think probably started when, when Shigo said we don't have to paint. Hmm. You know, and it's been argued, or yeah. I've heard it said that never before has such a long-standing, uh, not only tradition, but technique been so quickly abandoned by an industry, you know, because it was dirty and messy and a pain in the ass. And then to find out that it actually doesn't make a difference, holy crap, you know, it, it, it worked on every level, you know, and, and then you go all the way back to, well, you know, what I remember we were, we were doing some design work at Buckingham 
And someone asked why the little snap is on the, the handsaw scabbard because it never really worked <laughs> to hook anything up, you know. And we finally, through a bit of discussion and, and talking around it, it came about that it was to hook on the damn paint pot, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know. And, and, and they were like, we never took it off because – and they hadn't been painting cuts for 20 years and they still put the connecting link on the dang scabbard. Because mm-hmm. I don't know why it was there. People wanted it there, so that's why it's there. And uh, you know, there's something to be said for that. Like, are we aware of why we did it or why we don't do it? You know, like, is it just tradition? Is it just you got to have the new hitch because it's the new hitch? <laughs> mm-hmm. You know, or is it because it actually does something? Yeah. yeah. Anyways, it's yeah, interesting that's... and. Uh, <laughs> That's a great point. I'm thinking through, you know, and I've done these these podcasts and have talking to people like Lori and all the people we've talked about. I think my next piece of advice after for a, a new budding arborist would be, you know, after you learn about tree and tree biology and you have a decent skill set, then start to learn the history and culture of the work we've been doing and and understand it because then you can start to put the pieces all together, right? Okay, well, it, can I can I challenge that, Tony, a little bit? Sure. Yeah. Uh, like I think about that lots, and sometimes I think I think that way, and tend to go that way because I am an old guy, and I'm trying to preserve the past or whatever, right? Mm-hmm. So here, if I can put you on the spot here, and you have editing power, so you can remove all this. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> uh, how how does it benefit the new climber the new budding sorry for the pun arborist to know about history i have my own answers to that but where where Mm -hmm. where are you at with it how does it help them i think it well like anything it's hard to know where you're going if you don't know where you've been that's a good one i agree yep i mean now that's that's cliche i know very general i think it it can help from repeating past mistakes because I'll often see somebody come up with this new um, <laughs> climbing technique or something. And it's like, you know, we've been down this road before, right? Like the classic example, and it's one that seems to come around every once in a while is you're going to put a pull line in the tree anyway to pull the stub over. So why don't you just take a figure eight and rappel down it, you know? And, yeah. you know, and, and, you know, you can have the discussion about climbing lines and rigging lines are built differently, the amount of dirt, all that stuff. So, I think it helps in the fact that you can say, look, we've been down this road before and this is this is where we went wrong. So, you know, if you can't learn from your own mistakes, can you learn from ours? Right. Is part of it. And then I think finally and maybe most importantly, it just gives you an appreciation for the the culture and the richness mm-hmm. of of working on trees. And by you know, maybe by delving into a little bit of the history and, you know, Dwayne's story of the hook with the paint pot and then starting to understand why people painted trees then you can really start to appreciate the rest of it too, right? You can appreciate a well-made pruning cut, you know, you can, Mm -hmm. and I think it'll just understanding history. When I've looked into the history of things on many different subjects, it's basically opened up those rabbit holes that I dove down and just learned a ton of things that I apply to, you know, the present day. Good words. That would be my response. Yes. And uh, most appropriate. I, I can echo all of those, those words for sure. Tony, thank you for letting me, challenge that little bit of thinking there cool and to be clear i don't think you have to i don't think you have to have a history course in arboriculture i do think you need to understand you know the 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 rudiments of it and how it started and and understand the the evolution and the progress that that the that we've gone through from you know not only a production standpoint but a scientific standpoint totally agree totally agree with you yeah, it's not just a. It's not just all oh, you got to listen to, uh, two or three old guys talking about the past, <laughs> and you have to learn that because you have to respect them in some way. It's not about that. No. It's about what can mm-hmm. I learn from hearing those yeah. senior folks? Right. What what can how can I save myself? Right, and man, I I think back of uh, to to my experiences and how much I learned from those who knew more than me and were were older than me and somehow in my youthful arrogance uh, I managed to get a little bit of that right I, I could have done way better I get it I know for sure yeah and it's really it's really you know the attitude it's an attitude you know it's like willing to learn like I you, if you you know learning from whoever 
if you don't know it, you don't know it. And how someone gets to know it, whether they're older or younger, it, it sometimes they're older, but it's being willing to learn and be teachable. I yes. think is a, is a, is a, a matter of the heart. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. you know, it, it sometimes expands and grows with age and sometimes it, it, it hardens and closes. Yes. And, you know, life circumstances can make that so, but if you're able to, you know, I guess be humble enough and, you know, humility is knowing your own truth, mm-hmm. you know, knowing the truth about yourself, not just knowing it, but admitting it. Yes. And when you can know that you don't know and admit that you don't know, then you're open to learning and you can yeah. be open to learning. And that it's sometimes easier as a young person and it's sometimes harder as an old person, but it's, it's, it's necessary for us all at every age in order to keep the learning of journey going the journey of learning going, I should say. Yeah, no, I get it. I totally agree, Dwayne. And that, what did I, what did I learn today? Right off the top, most recent, what's that stupid snap for on my old uh, <laughs> s- scabbard? I never knew that. Yeah. That was for the paint pots. Oh, I thought I told you that. Well, maybe yeah. you probably did, but I've forgotten it. But I don't remember that. It's like, okay, there I we go. I actually have. I actually found one of the old pots, brand new, like that they used to use, and it snaps on perfect. <laughs> yeah. Oh, it makes great sense for sure. Yeah, no, for sure. No, and and uh, and that's not to to. Yeah, I totally hear what you're saying about having the right attitude for the. There, yeah. lots of us have those people that are even older in our lives that show uh, an attitude of, of learning and know that they don't know. And then we have some of those that they got hardened, like you said, Dwayne, for sure. Yeah. Well, it's been a great uh, session and, and Laura, we we're extending it to everyone that, you know, where we've realized that it may not be your last so if you are enjoying it as much as we have we certainly could do a sequel and we're planning some with others already and uh, thank you for taking time out of your busy day and for sharing your 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 time with us uh, we appreciate it it's thank you very much gentlemen it's always a joy and a privilege and an honor for me to spend time with high quality individuals and uh, it's been great to spend this last 60, 70 minutes with you guys. So thank you for building value into my life. Thank you. You're welcome.